0: So this series, the first few weeks, we talked about doctrine. Um, and then the, the, the next section, we talked about our core values and our core activities. And so if you want to catch up on all that or any of that, that's all online or on our podcast. Uh, go ahead and uh, you can catch up on that. The next few weeks, we're going to be talking about um, really what our relationship and our resources and our money really is about and how God will begin to use us as we participate in the restoration of all things, um, how he really engages with um, our money in that. Now, When we talk about money in a church, a lot of times everyone's uh, warning signals go way up, right? No one's going to admit that live. I know that. Everyone's like, whoa, wait a second. We're talking about money in church. There's like a few things that we don't talk about, right? We're getting ready for Thanksgiving, politics and religion. Don't ask anyone politics. Don't talk about anyone's money, right? Are we tracking on that? Especially this year. No one asking until someone sits down at the table and goes, who'd you vote for? No, don't ask that question this year, right? It's weird. Anyway, but there's two things that we talk, you know, just don't talk about it. Just, it's easier not to talk about it. And, and so really what it comes down to is that we need to talk about our relationship with our money because there's a, there's a few reasons. Number one is you think about money every single day. You think about money every single day and it could be a, a weight to you or it could be freeing for you or whatever the case is. There's a good chance that you think about the state of your finances every single Day. Can I get an amen? Right? Amen. And so you're looking at it at your app. You're either in a bank. You're looking at maybe you're watching the, the markets on CNBC or wherever. You, you're just you're thinking about the state of your finances most days. The second reason, too, is uh, because, because you're thinking about it or in all reality, the enemy would love to use this as a way to steal your joy. Uh, right now, money can be one of the leading causes of divorce in our nation. It can be like such a stressful thing for people. And the enemy loves to steal your joy away. In fact, the, the New Testament says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And even in this, in this facet, God, God wants your joy. He wants you to live a life that's freeing and feeling like there's joy in the midst of your finances. And so we need to talk about it. The other reason we need to talk about it is because God talked about it. In fact, if you think about Jesus, Jesus' teachings, 15% of it, 15 to 20% of his teachings were on money. That would be the equivalent of me spending like one Sunday a month talking about money. And you're like, praise God, you don't do that, right? That's that would be hard and, and bad and hard for me to listen to. Like it, like it would be the equivalent of me spending the entire Sunday talking about. Money, and so Jesus talks about it, and so it's really imperative that we uh, talk about it, but here's what I do. Every single time that we start up a little section or a series on money, uh, one of the things that I always like to do is remind you this. One is that we never, we're not looking for anything from you. We're looking for something for you, I, it's not that I need anything from you. I'm not going around. I'm not, we're not trying to start a capital campaign today where we're asking you to give you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the next couple of years. I'm not, I'm not starting any of that. I don't, I don't need, we don't need to buy an, a fleet of automobiles. We don't need to do any of that. What we, well, we don't need anything from you, but we want something for you, and we want you to see and have a healthy relationship with your finances because we believe that God would want you to have joy in the midst of this area. You'd want you to have life in the midst of this area, and so we want something for you. And and it's when you can handle and have a relationship with your money like this, like the Bible teaches. I think we'll be in really awesome shape. And so if you go to Matthew chapter six today, grab the Bibles um, on, that are on your seat, or you can watch it on your phone, or look at it on your phone, or whatever. It's page number eight zero three. Go to page number eight zero three. It's Matthew chapter six, and really we're going to start off with. Uh, the major foundation, what the Bible teaches, really the one thing that the Bible teaches about our relationship with money. You know, Matthew 6. So the the one thing, if you sum up like the entire Bible in regards to our money, I think the one thing that it teaches us, that our framework that we need to have for our money is this, that God owns it, and we steward it. I think if you think about this, frame, this framework, if you think about this idea where in regards to everything in our life, the fact that he's creator, we are the creation, that he is Lord and we are not, that he's God, that we aren't. But specifically when it comes to our money, I think it's going to drastically change what we do with it. And so really, if this is the framework. God owns it, and we steward it. If we take this framework and really put, in, put all of our resources through this filter, I think we're going to drastically change how we interact with it. And really, you're like, well, wait a second. Like, it's my money. It's my money, and then I have to, you know, God asks for some of it all the time, and, like, I have to do it, and I do it reluctantly or whatever. Maybe I, maybe I throw a 5 or a 10 in in order to get God off my back type thing. But really, when you think about it, that God owns it and we steward it, it literally would change everything about the way that you see your money. And so here's just a quick theological framework for us as when it comes to God owning everything. In Psalm 24, it says this that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Is there anything gray about this verse? No, no. We don't even have to do any Hebrew word studies here, right? Like we don't have to dive into what they originally meant. I mean, literally, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So who owns it? God does. Right? So you take this idea, then, and then you see what Moses teaches in Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, chapter 8. And he says this. He's, he's, he's preaching to the nation of Israel, when it, reminding them of their story. He says this. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. Isn't that amazing? That God would give in order to humble, in order to shape and change us, Right? He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Right? It's just an incredibly clarifying text when it comes to understanding where our money and our wealth and our success comes from, that it doesn't come from within us. It comes from outside of us when it comes from our Savior. And then you take this and you, and you understand Matthew 25 that Jesus is, is telling a story of, of a ruler, just someone that, said, that, that gives portion of his money away. He says, you know, to one servant, he gives one, uh, one talent. The next servant, he gives three. The next servant, he goes five. He says, here, I'm gonna come back and I'm going to look to see what you've done with it. Go and take care of this for me. And to the one who had one, he digs, in, digs a hole and buries it and he keeps it safe right? Keeps it safe. And so then the one who does three, he kind of lightly invests it. And then the one who invest, takes five, he invests it, and he gets 10. And Jesus, with the, with the master, Jesus is telling the story, the master comes back, and he starts to ask, he tries to figure out what everyone is doing. And the one with one, he realizes that he, he actually calls a wicked and faithful, a wicked and unfaithful servant, Because of the way he just hoarded and and tried to protect what he had and never made anything from it. But to the one who invested in it, took care of it, and stewarded what he was given, he says this in verse 23. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And a lot of times we take this text and we put it on heaven and we say, okay, we're longing for the day that we meet Jesus and he can say to us, well done, you good and faithful servant. But really what we can do is apply that to the way we handle our money. And it has much more than to do with, than with one day when we die and we see Jesus. But really, how are you doing with what God has asked you to steward today? are you being faithful in handling this small amount? Because how many know, like, sometimes you look at the bank account, you're like, man, I'm handling a small amount, right? I'm just, there's not much going in, a whole lot more going out, right? That's kind of how it feels. But he said, well done, you good and faithful servant. You've you've stewarded this amount, small amount faithfully. Well done. Let's go celebrate in that. And so you see this kind of framework that the Bible teaches that God owns it. God, this is not, none of it's yours. Like, like, and a lot of times our relationship with our money is that we think that we own it. We own it. And so, uh, so we kind of grasp onto it and hold onto it and tightly grab it. And, and we do things with it that we were, never were intended to do. But the framework that the Bible teaches is that God owns it and he gives it to you to watch out over he gives it to you to watch over, to use, to meet your needs. He gives it to you to, to use, to participate in the restoration of all things, to, to pour out into the way you're doing it and to give way more than he was able to, uh, than you may even be able to now. He gives you this whole thing to say, I'm going to give you this amount of money to steward over so that you can do what I need you to do. Remember last week we talked about this in Acts 17 where, 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 God, taught, where God says, I created people uniquely and given them gifts. And then he placed them in a certain time frame and in a certain dwelling place. Like he, he kind of has this whole thing laid out for you. He says, I got this cool plan, this awesome design for your life. And then when you do what I do, when you do what I say and you kind of live the life that I've designed you to live, you get joy and I get glory. And so he says, okay, if you're going to be in this specific place and in this specific time, I'm going to give you a certain amount of resources so that you can be a part of what I'm doing and so that you can experience the joy that I'm longing for. And how many would love to experience a little bit more joy when you open up the bank account, right? But he says, there's a design for you to live life. There's a design for you to have joy even when it comes to your finances and even when it comes to your money. And so you move through these, these elements. You say, okay, God, you, you, you own it, and we steward it. So, because here's the one thing, and I've been doing ministry for a decade, and I've watched people move, maneuver through this, and one of the biggest things that causes pain in people is just the reality of their finances. Just the reality of their finances. They struggle with this idea that God wants what's best for them if you would do life according to his design. But here's what I know. If God owns it and we steward it, that God doesn't need your money but he does want your heart. God doesn't need your money. He owns it all. Like he, It's his. Like he, just, he doesn't need it, but he wants your heart. He wants to engage with who you are and what's going on. And so God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. So when it comes to our giving, when it comes to our finances, what we really have to be asking God for is to shape our heart so that we can continue to live life according to his design. we tracking on that this morning. All right, so that's where Matthew 6 comes into play, Um, and so really giving shapes our heart with a few things, so let's read Matthew 6 and and let that just uh, shape us and change us in a little bit. Matthew 6, verse 19, says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Whatever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. That real quick that paragraph there, that phrase if your eye is good or if your eye is bad, it was a phrase in the New Testament that re, that regarded someone's uh, generosity or someone's stinginess. If your eye was good, it meant that you were a generous person. If your eye was bad, it meant that you were more stingy. So he, he pulls that into uh, the text. He says, then verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You, can, you cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Call all your worries. Can, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make, cloth- make their clothing, yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So giving shapes our heart in four ways. Number one, it reverses the flow of greed. It reverses the flow of greed. Look at the first few things that it talks about here. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths can eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves can break in and steal it. Store, yourselves, store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Right. And so what, what happens is in Genesis 3, when sin breaks everything, it turns the trajectory of our hearts away from praising the creator in, in, a, in a trajectory of pouring out and participating with the ongoing creation of the world and all of these things that God had in store for us when he created us in his image. And it reverses that trajectory to figure out how much we can get for ourselves. Even the reality of Genesis 3 was Adam and Eve thinking that God was holding out on them and that they needed to do what he was doing in order to feel more secure. This whole idea, the whole trajectory of our heart shifted in Genesis 3 away from giving and towards receiving, and so really, the, the, the flow of our hearts is really comes into how much can I get in? How much can I do this? What Jesus talks about here is says, where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. what he's saying is that the number one competitor for your heart is money. It's not another God. It might not even be, maybe it's a sports team. I don't know. Sometimes up here in New England, it gets a little crazy. But but, but it's not another God. It's not another thing. It really comes down to the state of your finances. Your money is constantly at war with your heart. And so the only real way, I guess, to really understand this and to really move through this or really engage with this and understand just the depth of what Jesus is talking about here is really to understand that you have to pick one or the other. And it's really just this type of thing here. Now, I mean, this is New England, right? I mean, this is like, I mean, you don't just pick one or the other. Like, you don't just pick one and then, like, just kind of have an affinity for the other one here. Like, you pick one and you hate the other, don't you? Like, this is what, this is what you do. I mean, even if the, one of them, even, like, I mean, I think there's, like, one, one Yankee. If you're a Yankees fan in here, don't raise your hand right now. I, I just can't take responsibility for what happens after the gathering. But, but, like, if you like one or the other here, like, even if one makes it to the playoffs, you still hate them, right? Like, you don't go ALNL here. Like, you're like, no, I just, I hope they lose, and I hope they get wiped off the face of the planet while they lose. Like, it's that level of engagement with this type of sport. I mean, it happens all the time. And this is what Jesus is talking about. It's like, you, you, you know, you can't pick one or the other. You, I mean, you can't have one and, and kind of like the other. There's this engagement, this, this movement, this like, uh, I gotta have one. So Jesus is saying, you know, you can't have both God and money, but he's saying, you know, if, when it reverses the flow of greed, well, a lot of times we engage with this idea over the competition of our heart. So we say, you know, the church shouldn't talk about money. Right? If really giving is not our problem, you know why? Is, I know this is because we give our money away all the time. Because the reality is this, is, is this one thing. If there's anyone that wants your money, it's Target. Right? It's Ulta. Right? It's uh, shoes and clothing. There's a lot of things that want our money. We have no problem giving it away. And so when it comes to saying, oh, I don't know if the church should really talk about money. I was, I was there at one point in my life too. But really what I'm doing is saying, I'm shouting something about my own heart because I know that I'm not doing money the way that God has designed me to do my money. And so, but Target wants your money. Uh, Apple wants your money. Best Buy, the mall, like craft beer and wine. I mean, everyone, I mean, it it, it all adds up. We have no problem shelling out some resources for that. And so, it's not giving that we have the promise because, I mean, sometimes, hey, the playoff football is about ready to come up, right? That's a couple hundred bucks a ticket sometimes. And we have no problem shelling out $1,000, $2,000 for that. But really, in all reality, Giving is not the problem. It's the relationship with our money. That's the problem. It's when we see it as ours to be disposed of as we see fit is the problem. Because God owns it and we steward it. When we see our money that way, it reverses the flow of greed and the trajectory of our hearts so that we can pour out instead of just be all about receiving and feeling more comfortable and so, really, the, 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 the fix to this is that we need to learn how to be rich. Now, I, I would, and many people, I don't ask this question, I say, how many people feel rich in here this morning? Now, I, very few people would raise their hand, right? It's a, it's a hard thing to feel. But in all reality, in, 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 in regards to the world, we are the top 1% of wage earners in the world. You know, a few years ago, we talked about the whole 1%, and there's this big thing about Wall Street and all this stuff. The reality is, though, 1% is us, and so what we have is never, we, what we struggle with is really our hashtag first world problems, don't we? Yes, right, yeah, like that's how we struggle, that's what we struggle with. So like, um, you know, the LTE is slow on my phone, have been there? Come on, I'm, no one's laughing because this is awkward right now, yeah, like, <laughs> like, oh yeah, I've been there. You're like, you have NASA in your pocket, right, and uh, we're complaining about its speed, Right, I was in a third world country this week and like I didn't have internet and I went like, went through withdrawals the first two days, right? Like we struggle with that. Like we didn't have internet twenty years ago, and now we got NASA in our pocket and somehow we're still not pleased. That's a first world problem. Like no Wi-Fi at a cafe. Have you ever been to a cafe where you do work and you're like, What do you mean you don't have Wi-Fi? Like, in fact, cafe owners right now are like saying no, I don't have Wi-Fi because you need to get off your screen, you jerk. Like, that's like legit how like front forward they are. You are know, like when you, when you forget your charger or you don't have anything to wear, you know, all these things, these are all first world problems. So really we have to learn how to be rich. That's what 1 Timothy will teach us when it comes to this reversing the flow of greed. He says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. I mean, you just see, there's just a very intimate relationship that God has with the money that he has given us to steward. And he talks about a way to do it that actually provides life and joy as we do it. And so, really, reverses the, the, the flow of greed. When you give, very, very few people, I would, say, I would say, a lot of people regret what they buy, but very few people regret what they give. They, very few people regret what they give. And so, it really comes down to reversing the flow of greed. If God owns it and we steward it, it really does reverse the trajectory of our hearts. Number two, um, giving makes us more like Jesus, Giving makes us more like Jesus. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so when you're pouring it into here, you understand that Jesus, if you want to serve God and not money, right? And I think if anyone is in here today, you probably would be there. If you want to serve God and not money, you need to be more like God and not, not more like money. And so when you think about making you more like Jesus, Look at what Philippians 2 describes Jesus as. Paul talks to the Philippians, he says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. When you read that in a text, don't you feel like you you wanna lean in and listen a little bit, don't you? Like, yeah, of course I wanna have the same attitude that Jesus had. So he's gonna tell you what it is. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And so as a Christian in here today, the attitude, the mindset that you have in the world is to give up your rights. I mean, in a world right now where it's all about what rights we have, he says, you want to be like Jesus? In a world that's all about rights, try giving some up. Try giving. Try pouring out instead of trying to receive. In fact, Jesus at one point says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we talk about this a lot at Christmas and then never again throughout the source of the year. We have this massive time on our our hands right now where we're going to give gifts and we're going to be the most benevolent people in the world over the next six weeks, over the next eight weeks. But what Jesus is teaching here is a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It's a way to do your money that will have that level of joy throughout all of our entire year. And so as you want to do more of that, if you think about Jesus, he gave his entire life for other people. So you want to talk about giving. I mean, giving is really something that ties into the DNA of who we are. God created you in his image and he's constantly been pouring out, constantly been moving forward, constantly through engaging. So if God owns it and we steward it, then we really need to have the attitude like Christ and become more about giving and less about receiving. So it really makes us more about Christ than anything it makes us more like Jesus. And so, so giving, it really does it reverses the flow of greed. It does make us more like Christ. Number three, giving shapes our heart by helping it trust Jesus. It, it helps us in trusting Jesus. And I love this text where he talks about just, hey, if you, you know, you worry about your life. I mean, how many of us will do that all the time? One of the biggest pushbacks that I get about giving all the time is, well, I don't have any money left over. I don't have any money left over to do it. And we'll get to that in a second, a little bit more. But I don't have any money to do it. And we, well, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? We start to ask these questions. We start to, to struggle with, in all reality. But I would say, really, who's your trust in? Who is your trust in? Because here's what we want to do we really want to take care of our money. Because a lot of times we have little money we have sometimes. We really want to do a good job so that we feel like we're cared for and taken care of and, and safe. But at the end of the day, who is in charge? of your money is it you as the steward or is it god as the owner god is going to give you resources for you to meet your needs and for you to participate in the restoration of all things and 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 be a part of his grand plan for the world and so if your area of your if this area of your life is out of control I would say, well, who really is it founded? Look at what Colossians says when it talks about Christ holding things together. It says this, all things were created through him and for him. This is Paul talking about Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. Because here's what we do. When things go out of control, what do we try to do? We try to tighten it up, don't we? Oh, we gotta, we gotta tighten this sucker up. Like, we can't, too much going out, not enough coming in. We try to grasp onto it, and there's a, we'll talk about like a budget and all that sort of thing next week, but, but really what we try to do is we try to hold onto it and grasp onto it, but really what the text says is that it's not held together by you, but the number one thing that we try to do is hold it all together. It's not held together by you, and so this area and any area of your life will be more chaotic if you think it's found in you and held together by you. But it's until it's hold together, held together by Jesus, we'll actually be at peace with that. So giving really makes us trust Jesus in a way that I mean, pursues it in a, in, in, a, in a next level sort of way. The goal of the game is not for Jesus to be second or third or fourth. He wants to be the first in you. So when you think about this relationship with your money that God owns it and we steward it, it really helps us trust Jesus and have him, have him be Lord over every, every area of our life. A lot of times we have no problem with him being, hey, you know what, I've got to, uh, I'll, I'll give you my, my, my relationships because that helps me feel better. You know, when I'm sick, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna pursue you. But this is the one area. A lot of times we just hold back because we don't actually trust him. I would say, if you could learn how to trust him in the area of your finances, I believe that you'd experience the joy of the Lord like you've never experienced before. I literally believe that the design of God, when it comes to your money, if he owns it and we steward it, you'll find joy in life in your money in ways that you never have before ever, because he's actually holding it together. How oftentimes do we say, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we do? What will we do? And he's like, literally, like, like the flowers of the field have no income potential whatsoever, yet they're more beautiful than the biggest building, the most beautiful building I've ever built in the temple. I mean, think about that. I mean, how, how like, it, when you read that text, isn't it like minorly insulting? Where you're just like, hey, hey, how about those flowers? Every year I take care of those, don't I? Yeah, sometimes when when I'm with my boys, they'll say, Oh, I'm so hungry. When are we going to eat? When are we going to eat? And I'm like, Hey, buddy, um, you know, been together for 12 years now. Every night, something on the plate, isn't there? Well, you're not doing anything right now. I know, but you always have something on your plate, don't you? Don't you? And it's that type of idea. I mean, look at the flowers. Look at the birds. And God takes care of them. How often do we think we can do a better job than God does? So God owns it. We steward. And if we see our money this way, we will trust Jesus more. So, so God, uh, when, when we give and we pursue money the way God sees it, it will shape our heart by, by reversing the flow of greed, making us more like Jesus, by helping us trust him more. But number four, by unleashing blessing. By unleashing blessing. I love verse 31. It says this. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. So seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So a lot of times when it comes to our money, we have this either-or mentality. Like I can do this or either this or that. I can buy either this or I can buy that. I can get this or I can get that. But, But that's not what God is saying here. He's saying if you have this relationship with your money, the one that I'm teaching, and you seek first my kingdom when it comes to your resources, I will supply your needs. Now, look, we love to believe the verses about heaven, don't we? No, just me. Okay, we got to work on that, man. Jeez. Yes, me. I love to believe those verses. I love when he says... I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I love believing in that. I love when I need to hear something. When I'm down and I'm out and I feel like a mess and God gives me something that just sends me through the roof with joy and encouragement. Don't you? Don't you? But why do we have so much trouble believing seek first the kingdom and above all else and he will give you everything that you need? Why do we struggle with that as much as we do? Because the number one competitor for your heart is your money. And he says, I don't need your money, but I do want your heart. And he wants to be Lord over your heart, Lord over every element of your life. And so the way we practice this, the way that we try to take everything that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 6, is we try to put, we we move it all through, uh, and we teach a tithe, giving the first 10% of our money to God. 10% of our income. Now look, sometimes these little like, These little reputations go on around churches, and they're like, Well, I heard that you got to give 10% of your money to belong to that church. Nope, that's not true. So don't leave here saying that. You got to give 10% of your money because God wants you to have a joyful relationship with your money. It has nothing to do with belonging. We're not a country club. We're not a country club. Not at all. So it's not a belonging thing. I'm not sending letters like, Mr. Smith, only 4% this year? You can leave. We're not doing that. (laughs) You know, you can give up your parking spot in the first row. You can park in the back. No one's doing that. We teach a tithe for a few reasons. Four quick reasons why we teach this tithe. We take all of these things, and we move it through the idea of giving the first 10% of our income to the Lord. Number one, we do it because Jesus commands it. Jesus commands it. Now, sometimes when it comes to giving, um, people have this belief that that the Bible only talks about giving a tithe in the Old Testament and never again in the New Testament. So therefore, if it doesn't teach it in the New Testament, then we don't have to do it, right? We don't have to, it doesn't teach a tithe. In fact, if you really want to do the math, sometimes they're given, in the Old Testament and New Testament, they were given like 20, 30, and even 40% of their money to the temple. But I'm not preaching that sermon. Maybe I will later, who knows? But no, I'm, I'm not teaching that. But, but really, some people have this belief that because it's, not mention, it's only mentioned in the Old Testament and not mentioned in the New Testament, that we don't have to do it, except for the time that it is mentioned in the New Testament, except for the time that it is, where Jesus commands it, Matthew 23, where he says this, "'What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith.'" You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. That's why we don't say just, oh, hey, we just focus on the tithe. We we talk about mercy. We talk about justice. We talk about the peace plan. We talk about mission. We talk about Haiti and Liberia. We talk about all these things because that's what God will ultimately do through a church that's faithful with their money. But he says you should tithe. Yes, you should. It could be the world's shortest sermon on tithing, Matthew 23, 23. You should tithe, yes. Thank you, have a great day. Right, that really could be. But really we have to get comfortable with this idea that Jesus actually asks us to do this. Uh, The second reason why we teach a tithe, we give 10% because God honors it. Look at Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your your vats will overflow with good wine. Again, we love to believe the verses about heaven, but why do we struggle with these? We struggle with these because we have a set, an amount of money that we believe we own. But if we believe God owns it and we steward it, this verse will become natural for us. Natural for us. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Um, so we give. 10%, not only because Jesus commands it, not only because he honors it, uh, it because it creates rhythm in our finances. It's just like a severely practical thing. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. It says, on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. Like, okay, great. Sounds good. I'll do that. And so really, it breaks down weekly. And so for us, you know, we, we give on Fridays. Like it just... Automatic setup recurring, coming out on Fridays. Because we want this to be normal. We don't want to be, it doesn't have to be awkward. Talking about money, talking about giving doesn't have to be awkward because the Bible talks about it a ton, so we got to talk about it a ton. And so we have to make it actually a normal part of our worship is to give the first 10% because God owns it and he asks for it. We're going to dive more into that next week. But, but in all reality, if, if, if this is how practical it is, We can get, okay, if we got a certain amount of money at the beginning of the week, we're just going to take a portion where we say this is, God wants it back. God wants it back. And then we get to live on the other 90 in a major way. So, uh, but again, we'll talk about the one question that we need to ask when it comes to our money next week. But on this first day of each week, set it aside. Creates rhythm, a weekly plan for your money. And lastly, we give 10% because the gospel is funded through tithing. Look at what uh, 2 Corinthians 8 talks about this. He says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Ultimately, the one thing that Christ is building is his local church, and the gospel is funded through the way that we are faithful with our resources. And so we teach a tithe because Jesus commands it and the gospel is ultimately funded through it. We wanna continue to make environments where people can meet Jesus and take next steps to become more like him. But you know what I love about this verse more than anything? It says, they're being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. How many think that, you know, that just describes me some weeks, doesn't it? Troubled and poor. Like, what a joyful life you have, Pastor Brandon. (laughs) Like, that's awesome. Troubled and poor. But some weeks it feels like that, doesn't it? What does he do? It's not tied to the amount of money that we have. It's tied to the heart that we have. He says, but they're also filled with abundant joy. Do You think it's possible that we could have troubles and be poor and yet still have joy? and have generosity flow out of our hearts. It doesn't come back. I mean, you could be be scraping all that you have just to give three bucks. You know what that is? That's the state of your heart removing and and pursuing Christ in a way that's pouring out generosity. It has nothing to do with the amount of money that we're giving. It comes down to who owns your heart? Who owns your heart? The reason why we struggle with this, guys, and I I mean, I'm I'm a human, right? We have tight weeks, but we struggle with this because it's ultimately who owns your stuff? Who owns it? Do you trust yourself more than you trust God? I mean, certainly the lilies of the field, they're doing pretty good without them, without you. Man, the birds. But we struggle with this, because we're humans, and sometimes we're troubled and poor but yet we can find abundant joy and let it overflow into rich generosity because of Christ and all of his work doing it that's done in our hearts. Look, this doesn't have to be an awkward conversation because it ultimately isn't me asking something from you. We're not starting a campaign. We're not starting something that's happening. We don't need hundreds of thousands of dollars immediately. In fact, I think it'd be really cool if we never had to do one of those. It really comes down to the relationship that we have with our money. Who do you believe owns it? Is it you? Do you hold it all together? Are you the trustful savior of your own finances? Or are you the steward? God has given this to you to watch over. Hey, I'm gonna give you some money to meet your needs and to participate in my mission. To have enjoyment, to do good. And if I believe, if we believe that God owns it and we steward it, we'll find life and joy in our finances, even if it's painful and hard right now. Are you track of this morning?